Hi everybody, Brown here. Just wanted to give a little introduction to this episode to say that for some reason, Contratenor's microphone was doing something weird throughout this episode. It kind of sounds like a little glitch every minute or two. So if you can't deal with the audio, we understand. But I also happened to ask Contratenor to get a real podcast microphone just by happenstance before we started recording this episode. So hopefully next time this won't happen, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome to Window Gazing Podcast, a podcast where two TikTokers try to say on the same subject. Uh, Today we have a bonus episode for you, and uh, our bonus episode is just on what books we like, what books we would recommend. This podcast topic uh, comes from an early conversation, one of our earliest conversations that we had, which is you reached out to me and you were like, you know, marketing, I think I want to suggest books for people. And I was like, so I think you can make that a business, but I think you would have to have lots and lots of followers and like have some sort of Amazon storefront or something where you suggest the books. Yeah, this was when I was like, I have all these followers. What do I do with this? That's not mm-hmm. humiliating. It doesn't show my whole ass as far as like monetizing a community yes. that's largely built on our mutual disdain for things like monetizing TikTok. So, yep. yeah, so I was like, because I, I thought, well, the nicest thing to do would obviously be to have like a storefront sort of thing. And I just throw in books that I like in there, you know, because when my account got really big and I'm sure you have this too, because you mentioned earlier, this is a thing people come out. They're like, what books do you read? What do you like? What do you like? What's your favorite book? And like, this is not a question I get in real life. And Mm -hmm. I would find myself like like, truly stumped because I don't think in terms of favorites, right? Like there are books that are deeply meaningful to me, but I don't know that I would say that like they're the best book out there, but they're meaningful to me. Something that I like, people ask me what therapy books I would suggest and what therapy books like I would suggest specifically for like intellectualizing your emotions or therapy books on um, survival mode. And um, I don't know, I definitely have those suggestions. I wanted to just do a top five with you. And I know you have like cool stories for each one. I'm not going to make you choose a top book. I could not choose a top book when I was looking at my books. I will say what's cool about my books list, I feel like they're fairly unknown books and they're not Hmm. books that I I hear recommended often. So apparently my taste is just like kind of indie or whatever. Um, So yeah, what is your first book? All right, I get to go first. Okay. Uh, Well, I think instead of going in order of favorites I'll go in sort of like a rough chronological order so Mm. um I will say that the first book that sort of opened up the idea of what literature could be like really expanded it out of the sort of uh, box that I had for it in my head and I think a lot of kids are this way you know you go through school and you're like forced to read a certain number of books and like I don't know if that like it's a cliche like in grade eight English you read a separate piece and we literally read a separate piece in grade eight English which is like the classic sort of like this is what a novel is here are the elements of a novel but anyway I read um 
in my last year of high school and in Ontario at the time, we had something called OAC, which was like a grade 13. We had an extra year and we were allowed to choose our own book. We had to do a whole writing project, but we, we had the freedom to choose the book we were going to read. So I, I was really into Kafka at that point, like just reading about him and finding it really interesting. So uh, so I decided to read uh, The Castle, right? Now, when everyone talks about Kafka, they talk about Gregor Samsa and um, uh, they talk about, um, you know, the trial. The trial is obviously like the template for, you know, the the sort of term Kafka-esque because some, someone being on trial for something they don't really understand. But like the castle... The castle is like the trial on, on steroids because, um, you know, the prose is just, it's just wall to wall prose and it's so confusing. Mm. And he's like trying, he's like dealing with this bureaucracy and he's trying to find the center of it all. And he has to go through all these different layers. And the reason why that book really blew me away is because it was the experience of like slogging through this prose was uh, actually creating the sense of frustration that the character himself was going through. Uh, I think in, in, he's Joseph K in the trial, but he's just K in the castle. Uh, and I just, I remember getting to this point where like, this book is insane. Like it's just, it's just endless and there's nothing happening. It's not developing, he's not getting anywhere. And then I had this like crystalline moment of like, oh, that's what Kafka is doing. You know what I mean? Like uh, he's putting you in this position. And so- um, Can and you just, define- can you define Sorry, for me when when someone says Kafka-esque, what do they mean? So traditionally, I mean, the way that I use it is like Kafka-esque is when you're in a situation usually involving dealing with the bureaucracy or any sort of like large institution and uh, the rules and the rationale and the reasoning for the institution is completely opaque and you're dealing with one person after another and they're telling you conflicting things and you have to like and there's a feeling that you're sort of climbing this ladder to get to the sort of place that you need to be. To... So it's usually when we talk about Kafkaesque, that's what we're talking about, you know, and the mm -hmm. trial is usually the most famous example because it's usually meant in a more political pejorative sense, like, you know, cause literally on the trial, he's on trial for some crime. He doesn't even know what he committed. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, Ooh, it's like sort of used as Orwellian, but they're not quite the same thing to me. Like Kafkaesque is like, it's not necessarily the a state abusing its power. It's literally a bureaucracy that is so um, labyrinthine and inscrutable that you, you uh, that the power itself doesn't even quite know why it's persecuting huh. you. Anyway, I'm not going to do this book justice on here, but I just remember that was like the light bulb going off in my head in terms of like what was possible through fiction. That fiction didn't mm. have to follow this formula that the form of prose itself could be part of the content of the novel. Anyway, it was just really exciting. And I remember thinking I went through this like period of hating the book to falling completely in love with it at the end. And, and it didn't even end because he didn't finish it. So, hmm. yeah. Which anyway. book that that strikes me as such a creative um, limb to walk out on to like, I'm going to frustrate my readers. That's what I'm going to go for. Um, do you have a an idea of like how many novels Kafka had written by the time The Castle was written? Was it like the last one because he didn't finish it? Um, no, I I mean I would probably get this wrong. Like I know his famous things, uh, like um, 
you know, the one where he turns into a bug, which I can't remember. And then America, which is like his really dreamlike novel of like his interpretation as European of, of what America would be like. Um, but uh, um, the thing is with Kafka is he was notoriously hated his own work and like constantly threw it into the fire and like had to be like he had this very tumultuous relationship with his editor, Max Brode. And there's amazing letters back and forth between Kafka and Max Brode about like Max sort of begging him not to destroy everything and, and Kafka just finding he just would get. So he, he you know, I, th this is not an author who is like, I love writing. I love the process. Mm. Like he was not, not like that at all. Um, and I think that's also because he was so iconoclastic and so unique, um, even to this day, you know, there's, there's very few authors who can uh, approach that sort of level of absurdity. Mm. Um, and and be so true to his own form, uh, and I think a lot of people credit Max for saving Kafka from his own excesses in some ways. Um, but yeah, he was not a novelist out there to be loved, so it's not surprising that that the Castle, for example, is a is a difficult read. Mm. This is going to be a really fun episode, I can tell, because I know so little about classic literature. Um, oh, no. Pretty much everything <laughs> you're going to say is going to be new to me. And so I'll be able to ask you questions that are just like in like 101 sorts of questions, which I think is going to be fun. Um, yeah. So my book, my first book that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um chronological would be fun I think so the first book that I encountered on this list is the book Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein um, he is not a well-known writer I don't know if he's any more well-known now um, the book is a very thick book and I can't remember who encouraged me to read it uh, and it was written in 2008 I probably read it in like 2010 so I'm 18 um, reading this book and I was so floored by it. Um, it was so spiritual and it speaks to the sacred parts of money. It speaks to the gift economy. It talks about, uh, mutual aid to some extent. It talks about how, um, money should be biodegradable essentially. And we, are operating um, in a way that's not very spiritual with our money because our money doesn't degrade. It can be piled up and piled up and and that's not of the natural world. That's a very unnatural way to store energy. 